Good morning. It is, uh, it's good to be here this morning. I wish I could sing like Ty, but I can't, so that's not going to happen. Um, my name is Joe Johnson. If you weren't here in the announcements or I haven't met you, uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at Mississippi State, was the RUF campus minister at Birmingham Southern, and for those years, my family and I were here at this church and see a lot of familiar faces here, also a lot of new faces, which is, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, this church means so much to us, I can't really explain it all, but a lot happened in this room and in this place for us as a family, a lot of good memories. I was, my first visit here was for Presbytery, uh, and I was theologically examined right there by the Presbytery to be the campus minister of Birmingham Southern. Not a great memory, but it did happen. That was my introduction to this church, and then uh, we began to come here, and uh, my son was baptized right here by Matt. Um, a couple years ago, and this church allowed me a space to work upstairs in an office, but also friendships of your pastors and you, uh, allowed me to preach when we were without a pastor for a little bit, and first time regularly preaching in the church, and also um, uh, the session here and the pastors here let me serve the Lord's Supper, which we'll do later for the first time, and got to do that. And, and y'all um, loved our family well, loved me well, and we really miss you. And I hate that my family can't be here. People tend to like me better when my wife is here. And, um, but I hope I can do this morning. But they do send their greetings. Oh, we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bibles or your bulletin. John chapter 6. And what we're going to do, we're going to interrupt the psalm series for the summer to look at one of the I am statements in the gospel of John. Uh, seven times in the gospel of John, we see an I am Statement, And we call them that because they start uh, why Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And on and on and on. But the way Jesus says that is he's not saying it like I just did. I am Joe Johnson. I am the campus minister at Mississippi State. Those are just things about me, facts about me. Jesus says something different. A little more profound. And actually something that probably offended everyone who was listening to him. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know enough to say this. The Greek behind what Jesus says here is startling. Because he doesn't just use the one Greek word he could have used to say, I am the bread of life. He uses two words. And they both mean the same thing. They both mean, I am. And so very woodenly, if we were to translate this, is Jesus saying, I am, I am the bread of life. Now, that's not Jesus stumbling over his words. What he's actually doing there is hearkening us back to Exodus chapter 3, which we read earlier in the service, where Moses, appearing before this theophany, this burning bush, God appears before him and sends him back to Pharaoh, back to Egypt to rescue his people. And Moses says, well, who do I tell them you are? And what does God say? I am who I am. I am that I am. Literally, I am, I am. It's the only way God could introduce himself to Moses. That I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator, the Sustainer, the One who holds the world in His hands, the Sovereign King over it all. I am who I am. That's all I can say about myself. And so when Jesus in these statements, the reason why they, they, they fly off the page in the Gospel of John, the reason why these are so important is that it's not just Jesus saying, I'm like bread. It's Jesus saying, I am God. Now let me tell you what kind of God I'm like. I'm the bread of life. That's what we're going to look at this morning, the first of the I am statements, where Jesus says, I am, I am, the bread of life. With that in mind, let me read our passage for us, John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. 
When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread that God... The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, the life of the world, is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, this is your word and we're your people, and we desperately need it. Jesus, in this passage, help us to see you more clearly. And find you more beautiful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you could think back uh, to your last first date. Your last first date. For some of us, that was some time ago. For others of us, it might have happened last night. And you're trying to figure out, did it go well? Or did it go poorly? Do you want to do that again? I love first date stories. It's one of my favorite parts of my job to hear my students talk about their bad first dates. Their nightmare first dates. Especially if they're blind dates. And my wife and I obviously live in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, which is like 70% college students. And so whenever we go on our dates, which is rare now with young kids, but when we go on our dates, the restaurants are typically full of college students on dates. And one of our favorite activities on our dates is actually to, um, to pick which one is the first date. Which one in this restaurant is on a first date? And you can tell immediately because it's the conversation going the worst in the restaurant. And so whenever we pick that table, like, oh, they're definitely on a first date. This might even be a blind date. Me and my wife, you can 
figure out for yourself the health of our marriage. We stop talking to each other, and we start listening in to that table. Start listening to them stutter and say weird things and be really awkward. You can just feel the awkwardness, and I live for those moments as we listen to these first dates, because first dates really are awkward. And they're awkward because they're job interviews. You are interviewing someone for the position of being your boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, maybe spouse one day. But what makes it even more awkward is you're not just interviewing them. They are there also interviewing you. So as you're asking questions, trying to get large swaths of information from them, they're asking you questions where you have to present yourself in the best possible light. And so what typically comes on a first date, usually from the guy, is what's called a humble brag. A humble brag, you know that? Where, in polite society, we know you can't just sit down on a date and say, I'm really rich, you should want to be with me. You have to say something like this. Do you know what's hard about having a lot of money? (laughs) What's hard about having a lot of money is you never know if people are being nice to me because they want to know me, or it's because of my money. And that's really hard, you know, right? Something in that sounds vulnerable, kind of sounds weak, but what's the point they got across? I'm really rich, you should want to be with me. Because whenever we're trying to present ourselves in good light, whenever we're trying to attract someone, whenever we're trying to lead an organization or go somewhere where we need people to follow us, we want to present ourselves in something that's attractive. Something that you want to be with. Something that you want to follow. And so I find it incredibly interesting that when Jesus gives his first I am statement, he likens himself to bread. That's not the most interesting thing in the world. Even if you rank it among the other I am statements, he maybe should have started with, in our minds, I am the resurrection in life. That's exciting. I want to hear about that. But here Jesus compares himself to bread. And we're left wondering, why does he start with that? And why is that worth following? Well, I hope I can convey this morning, and as we read this text together, I hope we see that Jesus as the bread of life is the best news we've heard today. Because it means no less than this, that Jesus is claiming to be the one who comes from heaven to give life to his lifeless people. Jesus is claiming to be the one who comes from heaven to give life to his lifeless people. So as we walk through this text, I just want to look at two things. I want to look at the real hunger that Jesus addresses, the real hunger in all of us, and then secondly, the real bread. The real hunger, and then the real bread that he offers. So first, the real hunger. Uh, I'm kind of plopping us in John chapter 6 right now, so I have to set some context. This is an action-packed chapter in the Gospel of John. And actually, what just happened before verse 25, where we started reading, is two miracles took place. Jesus performed two miracles and two biggies. Like if we were to rank Jesus' miracles, these would make the top ten list. These are things that kind of transcend Christianity, that even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of these two miracles that occur back to back. And the first miracle is that Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus feeds 5,000, which which may be more. They might only be talking about the men numbered 5,000 with their families. But this massive public miracle, what does Jesus do? He takes nothing and makes something. Now, who can take nothing and make something? Only God can do that. So Jesus feeds these people. 
And his disciples get on a boat, go across the sea. Jesus is now on that boat. And then a storm comes. The disciples look out at the sea and they see Jesus walking on water. Miracle number two. Jesus showing complete sovereignty over creation. Jesus, the one whose voice created it, is now being obeyed by creation itself. Who can walk on water? Only God can do that. So these two miracles, what is Jesus showing? What is Jesus showing in all of his miracles? He's revealing himself to be God. And so then we come to verse 25 with a very confused group of people. Who they saw a boat leave, Jesus not on that boat, but then on the other side of the sea, Jesus is there with his disciples. And so they come to him with a series of questions, the first being, when did you come here? In other words, how did you do what you just did? They're noticing something. Something big has happened. They've just seen two miracles, but they still don't really know how to piece it together. But they know they want to be around Jesus. And Jesus does something here. I love when he does this, when he doesn't answer their question. Because in these series of questions, what we see is they're asking the wrong questions, and Jesus very tenderly is going to take them by the hand and lead them to the right question. Because he's not just there just to answer intellectual questions. He's there for their hearts. And he's going to reveal his heart for them. But they are absolutely confused. Have you ever been so confused in a situation that you don't even know the right question to ask? These people are overwhelmed by what they saw in Jesus. Overwhelmed by who he is. But they come with three bad questions. And I'm going to take one at a time. Three three bad questions of Jesus. And the first bad question, wrong question they start with is they ask him for more bread. Uh, Jesus kind of reads between the lines and says, you're not really here to find out how I got here. You're here for more bread. You hate your fill of loaves, and now you're back. But he sends them, actually, to the right request. You don't want more bread. What you need is bread that never leaves you hungry again. So what just happened is the people go there to ask Jesus to first help their circumstances a little bit. Hey, Jesus, we know you can do great things. Okay, give us some food because we're a little hungry. Help our day get a little bit better. But they actually come to him not asking enough. And that's what Jesus is going to reveal. You're not asking enough of me. How often in my prayers, if I were to script out all my prayers in my life, which would be really embarrassing, but if I were to script all those out, I would assume 98% is me just asking Jesus to fix some problem in my life. That's typically where I spend the most time. And I think that's good. I think prayers of helping our circumstances are absolutely appropriate. Actually, in the Lord's Prayer, which we sang earlier, he tells us to pray for our daily bread. But what Jesus is trying to get them to see is there's so much more you need. That that's actually not the deepest need of your heart. The deepest need of your heart is that you're hungry and you can never be satisfied. You need something more. Ask more. So then go to the second question. Second bad question. And the second question is this. What do we need to do to be doing the works of God? In other words, what they ask him is, what do we need to do to have life with God? Just tell us what to do. Give us a list. We'll do it. We'll knock it out of the park. And what does Jesus answer? To be doing the works of God is to believe in the one that was sent. In other words, Jesus is not going to leave them with a to-do list. They're begging for a to-do list. He's not going to do it. He's actually going to call them to do way more. To believe in their whole life, in their whole death, resting every hope on this person, on me. 
But they're approaching him, not with faith, but with works. I mean, how often do we approach Jesus on the basis of our works? But no matter how many times we can read definitions of justification by faith, as we read earlier, no matter how long we can be in church, legalism always rears its ugly head. We can approach Jesus with our works in kind of two different ways. And the first way we do it is we bring him our works saying, Jesus, look at what I've done for you. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the things that I've stayed away from. And look at the things that I do that not many other people do. Look how I've remained yours, remained faithful. Look at me. Can I now have assurance? Can I now know that you love me? Can I now experience your blessing? Look at what I've done. But Jesus pointing out, this is not how that works at all. But the second wrong way to approach Jesus with our works, which we see so often in students' lives and in my life, is that if we actually look at our life in our hands, if we look at our works, we know that we have nothing to offer but sin and shame. And we think, I can never approach Jesus with this. I need to clean my life up first. I need to fix this first. I need to get in order first. I need to do something. I need to clean myself up. How many times have I heard, I'm not really an RUF person. <laughs> because, because if you knew what I did, you wouldn't really want me in your group. And I have to say over and over again, that's what RUF is for. That's who Jesus came for. The sick. The broken. The needy. How do we approach Jesus with our works? As he comes just to say, believe in the one who was sent. But then the third wrong question, and by far the worst, is they say, okay, if you want us to believe in you, if you want us to trust in you, do a sign. Show us something that you're worthy of this faith. Which is tainted with irony because Jesus just did two signs. This same group of people saw him take five loaves of bread and two fish and make 5,000 meals plus. And then they saw him walk across the sea. They saw that, and it's as if they're a hungry crowd that just kind of says, yeah, but like one more time. Do one more thing so that we know this is true. They're approaching Jesus with simply intellectual questions, wanting more signs and proof and actually missing the one the signs are pointing to. I don't know how many times I've had this conversation with a student where they kind of say something like, Joe, I get what you're saying. Get it, Jesus, the gospel, got it. But how do I know it's true? Like, how do I know this is really real? How do I know this book is really real and it's not just another book written by men? How do I actually know? Can you show me some evidence, some proof? And my heart goes out to them. Because that's how my heart works too, and I ask those questions as a college student. But in those conversations, I try to temper expectations. Because I say, I'm happy to talk to you about, is the Bible trustworthy, and science and Christianity. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about those things I want to, and I probably won't know the answer, but I can probably find a book that has an answer to that question. But I just want you to know that no matter how many answers you get, it will probably not be enough. Because if we just approach Jesus with our intellectual questions, we miss moments like this of having an actual encounter with him like these people are. To come and taste and see that he really is good. To actually see what it's like to put your life in his hands, to approach the throne of grace, that you actually have to see and to see him and to feel him and to know him. 
Which is why we come gathering as his people. To come face to face with Jesus in his word and sacrament and prayer as his bride, as his community. And so finally, after these bad questions and Jesus graciously responding to each one, they finally get to the right one, which is verse 34. Where they said, sir, give us this bread always. I actually sense a little bit of frustration in this saying here. It's almost as if they're frustrated at this conversation. Like, okay, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. We, we, don't, we don't really understand what's going on here. But we do know this. You have something that we need. And so give it to us and never stop giving it to us. Because what they finally see is that they are hungry but not for bread. Not just for intellectual questions. These people now see that they are hungry for life. Life in Christ. The life this one offers. That Jesus keeps bringing up eternal life. You see that throughout the text over and over and over again. That these people and we can be so earthly focused that we forget about why we were made and who we were made for. And Jesus points them, the thing that you hunger for the most is the true life you've been looking for and haven't been able to find anywhere. But I have come to give it to you. Eternal life is a phrase that we throw around at the church a lot. And, and, and maybe it's hard to kind of grasp it. But what eternal life really does mean is that in a billion years, we will still lack nothing in Christ. That in a billion years, we will be in no less awe over who he is. That in a billion years, we will still, as Christ's people, be enjoying our union with Christ forever as his church. That's what we're hungry for. That's what Jesus offers us. Do you still feel that hunger for the true life in Christ? The life that we were made to live, the life of holiness, the life looking more and more like him, the life enjoying him, and the life of seeing him more and more beautiful. That's what we're hungry for. That's what our souls pant for. That's what Jesus is addressing. So secondly, though, I want to look at the real bread. The real bread. So Jesus then comes in verse 35 with the mic drop moment. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He actually says it twice. I am the bread of life. And again, I would love to see the faces of the people who are listening to Jesus right now. Uh, Not only has he declared himself God, but he's describing this bread that they now so want. And they think he's really talking about bread. And then all of a sudden it says, "It's, it's me. That you need me. I am the bread of life that came to give life to a lifeless people. I am the one that you're looking for. But we still have a bit of confusion here. What does Jesus mean that he's the bread of life? And he gives us two clarifying comments about this. And the first clarifying comment of what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life is he says that he is the bread that came from heaven. Now, that's not Jesus just giving us his itinerary, that he came from glory, the right hand of the Father, to be here, and then he's going to be here for a certain amount of years and then go back to heaven. Jesus, again, is harkening us back to the Old Testament. Actually, a moment that these people brought up in arguing with Jesus. And when God rescues his people from slavery out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land, what happens in between those two moments? Forty years of wilderness wandering. I'm 33 years old. 40 years of God's people wandering in the wilderness. 
I, I, I preached this same text at another church a long time ago, and um, in between the two services, a, a man came up to me and said, you know, I was a military pilot, and I have flown over where we think the wilderness wandering was taking place. And he had pictures on his phone. It was like pretty incredible. And he said, what we don't understand is that that wilderness, that desert, that sand, that, that's not just like a rough weekend camping. That's a place that's actively trying to kill anything that's living there. In other words, when you fly over it, he says, you are astounded that anything could survive in that. And so how did God's people survive for 40 years in that place? Only by the grace and provision of God. The God who can bring water from a rock. And the God who gave his people manna, bread from heaven. As the people were complaining to Moses, he brought us out of Egypt, we're going to starve to death. What does God give his people? Manna from heaven, bread falling from the sky, exactly what they need. And do you know what they said when they saw that bread? They did not say, oh good, I kind of like bread, that's helpful. Or I'm trying to stay away from carbs or gluten, I don't know if I can do this. They saw the bread, and they said, that is life. That's how I'm going to see tomorrow. That is our hope. That is life in a lifeless place. And what Jesus is saying here is that moment, that bread, that wilderness, everything in that episode, that is about me. That I am the bread that came from heaven to this lifeless place. There's nothing you can do about your sin. There's nothing you can do about the fall. There's nothing you can do about this brokenness. But I came as the bread of life to give life to people who could not save themselves, dead in their trespasses of sin. But God sends the bread of life to give life to his lifeless people. But manna in the wilderness only looks beautiful for those who are starving. And Jesus is only understood as the bread of life for people who understand that they're hungry. I think the greatest sign of Christian maturity is knowing more and more of your need for Jesus. Knowing more and more of your weakness and dependency of him. Of him getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Do we see Jesus as truly the beautiful, life-giving bread of heaven that we need today as much as the day we were converted? Do we see him as the bread of life? The second thing he says about his bread of life, as Jesus clarifying that comment, is that the bread is his flesh. That's verse 51. That's what he ends our section on this morning. 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Um, This is almost uh, shocking. Not almost. It is shocking. And again, I would love to see the faces of the crowd when he said this. And he actually goes on to say something even more shocking, that you also have to drink my blood. And it's almost like a friend who took a joke too far, where you're like, Jesus, back up a little bit. We get that you're bread, but now you're talking about flesh and blood, and we're a little uncomfortable. But what does Jesus mean by this? He means that this bread, this life, is free for all who come. Without money, come and buy. Anyone who comes to him will be given this life, but this bread was not costless. But it would cost Jesus everything. That in a moment, I'm going to stand behind this table and pick up the bread and break it. 
And that's not me signifying that, you know, let's break bread together as a, as a family. That's, that's signifying that Jesus' body is like this bread. It was broken. And when we pour the wine, we're not just saying, let's, let's drink wine together and have a great time. What we're saying is, his blood was like this wine. It was poured out. The Son of God who took on a body gracious enough that then lived 30 years in obscurity, three years of ministry, and then die on the cross a thief's death in order to be the atonement for his people's sins. And so what does Jesus say when he's the bread of life? Come enjoy the victory feast that I have given for you. Rest in what I have done. Enjoy who I am. Everything that you need is found in me. I love food. (laughs) And one of the things, we love Starkville, Mississippi, but one of the things we really miss is Birmingham restaurants. We have great restaurants in Starkville, numerically a little bit different in terms of uh, how many restaurants you'll have. But some of my favorite memories in my life is at a restaurant around a table with good friends and good food and good drink and good desserts, and it just goes on and on and on and on. My wife says that when I walk into a restaurant, I pretend like I'm ten times richer than we actually are, where I just begin to order things left and right. (laughs) Keep it coming. And I love those moments that I never want them to end, and the worst part of the night is when I'm full and can't eat anymore. The restaurant seems to start closing down, they want us to leave, and they present the bill, which is by far the worst part of the evening. And I just wanted to keep going. How amazing is it? I know, I know I sort of made fun of the bread analogy a second ago, but how amazing is it, if we think about it, that when Jesus describes himself to his people, he describes himself as a meal that never ends. That one day, someday to come, when the new heavens and new earth are ushered in, how does it begin? It begins with a meal, the wedding feast of the Lamb, that we will dine with Jesus, telling stories and having good food and good wine in his presence, not being able to take our eyes off of him. And it's a meal that never ends, of people who will never be hungry again, and of people who will know what life is, eternal life in Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life that we all are starving for. And he offers himself freely. What other bread do we convince ourselves will really quench that hunger? What other bread do we try to convince ourselves of that this will really do it? Is it the bread of success that I fall into? If people just like me enough, if my ministry is big enough, if, if, if I'm just successful in the eyes of other people and they think Joe's great, will that, will that finally do it? And I can say, it'll never be enough. I'll always be hungry. I'll always fail. Is it the bread of beauty? When I see my students, as long as people are attracted to me enough, as long as people want to be with me, as long as I can experience that intimacy, then I can really feel love. What they're really looking for is the bread of life, the perfect love of Jesus that has no end. What other bread in this world do we try to satisfy our hunger with when eternal life is offered in Christ? The bread of life who came from heaven to give life to his lifeless people. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I so often look for other ways to satisfy my hunger outside of you. I so often not come to you, not even with bad questions, 
than instead try to figure out how I can make my life exactly the way I want it to look so that I can be complete. And what we starve for, Jesus, is you. Help us to be people who feast upon you, who rest in you, who delight in your love. And as we follow you, Jesus, become more and more like you in this world. That we, the Red Mountain Church in Birmingham, Alabama, are simply people who found living bread and know how to give it to others. Help us be that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.